The scripture reading is from Psalm 43. Psalm 43. It's particularly uh, verse 3 that uh, um, has uh, relevance to the sermon. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Would you also uh, turn please to Ephesians, book of Ephesians again, continue on in our series, and uh, to chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, I'll read the first 14 verses, but the text for the sermon is verses 6 to 14, Ephesians 5. Verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And now uh, text through to verse 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, 
and Christ will shine on you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to remember that hearing is also an act of worship, another area where we respond to your mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ by seeking to give you glory and honour. And Father, will you therefore enable us to listen to the reading and preaching of your word with a godly attitude, with that desire to honour you in the way that we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, as uh, your children grow older and move into their teenage years, it's uh, sometimes necessary to give more explanation of the reasons why you make certain prohibitions on what they can do or give them certain instructions. You need a little more very often than simply to say, because your father said so. They like to have reasons and it's good for them to understand those reasons. Now, of course, ideally, the Christian should be satisfied to obey our Heavenly Father simply because he said so. But the Lord graciously gives reasons as well as commands and prohibitions. And sometimes he even in his word piles uh, reason upon reason, as parents also sometimes do. Uh, When you're talking with your children, sometimes they ask to be allowed to do a certain thing and they get uh, given the answer no and then they're given some reasons for one thing and then one reason is go, oh, and and another reason you can't do this, another reason and another and uh, so sometimes those reasons are piled up in that way, not uncommon. And thus we find in this section of the book of, of Ephesians and in this section that we're now dealing with, we're looking at the application of the doctrinal framework that was provided in the first few chapters. So now in chapters 4, 5 and 6 we're in the application section and in this section, those three chapters, there are round about nine cases of the word therefore. Because of that doctrinal framework, therefore this is how you live. God not only commanding us but also giving us reasons, many reasons, piling those reasons up to make the point to us. And so as we think about reasons that we have seen, reasons that uh, tie back to that initial point about having to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the new self and put off the old self and the reasons for that that have been given, well, we saw in chapter 4 that we were to walk in the Lord's ways because his power and his glory are at work in us because of his grace and his mercy, a response to that, because this is the calling that he's given us, because he has poured out gifts that can't be used if we don't, properly if we don't walk in that way, because it is his purpose that we are to be edified and to grow and mature. And of course, behind all of that and interweaving through it, because of the work of his Son and of the Holy Spirit in us. That was all in chapter 4. Then already in chapter 5, in the first few verses, we've seen that we are to 
put on the new self, walk in his ways, because we have the family likeness. And that is the way God is in his character. And also because, and we saw it last time, that uh, there is a coming judgment on those who do the opposite. Now we continue with another one of those therefores. And you find it in verse 7. So here we're getting more arguments for the same kind of life that we should be living. Three points as we look at it. First of all, walk as children of light. Secondly, don't be deceived. And thirdly, don't be partakers with them. Walk as children of light, but don't be deceived and don't walk as partakers with them. Now, uh, I expect in the first place that you, uh, I expect you all know the difference between what it means to be walking around in a well-lit room at night, between that and uh, being in a room where the lights are off and it's a particularly dark night and the curtains are closed and uh, you need to get up in the middle of the night for some reason and uh, you are stumbling your way through the room in the middle of the night, you stub your toe on something that's been left on the floor, you trip over something else, maybe a pile of clothes or whatever it is, you trip over something else or a shoe uh, as you're walking in the dark or you, you accidentally bump into a shelf and, or a, uh, a bedside cabinet and you knock something else off the floor, onto the floor. Uh, we should be familiar with that kind of thing. So it, this contrast that we find in this passage, which is essentially one of either walking in the spiritual light or walking in darkness, we should have some sense of what that means uh, because of that analogy that we know of. But analogies aside, uh, we, there's a place to start in understanding what the Apostle is talking about here and it's not so much from our experience as to see this to see this contrast first and foremost in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ who is himself the light of the world. And you want to understand that contrast between light and darkness and that's actually the place to start with him. Which is to say that he is the only one ultimately who can define what light is and he is the only one ultimately who can dispel the darkness that is being talked about in this passage, that spiritual darkness and blindness and death, and he is the only one who can bring sinners into the light of his person and his work and his grace and his truth and his holiness. And that is the point of this passage. When verse 14 refers to this, it promises that the Lord Jesus will shine on those who do awake from a life of sleep and arise from death, the sleep and the death in this case of bondage to Satan and to sin. And this uh, verse, verse 14, is alluding to quite a number of Old Testament passages that were calling on Israel to wake up and to, to start shining and to, to live but to do so in the strength of the Messiah. As you know, the book of Isaiah is very much directed towards the coming of the Messiah to such an extent that, as I've mentioned before, it's sometimes referred to as the gospel according to Isaiah. So those verses, uh, such as Isaiah 26, verse 19, 
chapter 51, verse 17, chapter 52, verse 1, chapter 60, verse 1. Those kind of verses that called Israel to wake up and start shining the light like they were supposed to be doing instead of walking in darkness because of the coming Messiah. And um, the, the point of that is that um, um, this is something the Apostle was applying, these verses from Isaiah. He's applying this uh, more explicitly to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point of this is, is not to say that the Lord Jesus Christ will shine on you because you have woken yourself up or because you have raised yourself from this sleep and this death and this darkness. He's uh, not uh, saying that, uh, first of all, you wake up your, yourself and walk into the light, and once you've done that, then the Lord Jesus will continue to shine his light on you. No, what he is saying is that uh, if you are a Christian, you are light in the Lord. By definition, verse 8, not just walking in the light, but you are light. The light of the Lord Jesus Christ has been uh, imputed to you, counted as yours, and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is being imparted to you. You are learning uh, what that means and how to walk in it, but it's not just a matter of walking in it. You are defined in that way as light. You're characterized by it. You're uh, identified with the light because you are joined to the one who himself is characterized by and identified as light. Light, as we are told in this passage, implying truth, knowledge, true knowledge that is, righteousness, and uh, also the idea of light in the Bible implies openness and transparency, as opposed to hiding dark and sinful secrets and operating in that dark. Thus, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually that which wakes sleepers, which raises the dead, spiritually speaking, in the first place. And then once you have woken up in that way, uh, then the Lord continues to shine upon you as his people. He continues to shine on us rather than shining on us because we woke or raised ourselves. This is also put in terms of being children of light. Remember back in chapter 5, verse 1, we were told that we are to be imitators of God because we are his children. Well, as his children, we also take after him, we take after the Lord Jesus Christ in this way too, with respect to his light. As opposed to being sons or children, of disobedience, verse 6. And the light-darkness contrast, therefore, is also one of obedience versus disobedience. It starts with our relationship to the Lord Jesus, who is himself light, but what follows from that is an actual walking in the light, a walking in the ways of God, in obedience, and a fruitfulness in that. This is a contrast here of fruit, the results of being light and walking in the light, the fruit of goodness, righteousness and truth, verse 9, as opposed to the unfruitful deeds of darkness, ignorance, error, 
unrighteousness and walking in them. So as the apostle piles up reasons to lay aside the old self and put on the new then, the main point advanced here is that you are light, not darkness. You are light in Christ and therefore be sure that your behaviour matches who you are and that you're not living and acting out of character. Walk in the light without trying to hide secret darkness and keep trying to learn to do so more and more. That word uh, learn that uh, we find here in verse 10, uh, learning more and more what it is to, to live in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And the language here, this word learn that's used in this case, is a word that means to learn by, by testing and proving. It's uh, like the word assay, when you have uh, an ore sample assayed in a testing lab. Uh, it's, it's that kind of word that's used here and translated learn. It also means to test and prove. To test and prove what percentage of gold there is in this lump of rock that you, you bring to the lab that it's analysed and it tells you the percentage of pu- and purity of the gold in it. And so it's that kind of word. In other words, that you keep examining yourself for the degree of purity or impurity that exists in your life and you keep striving with the Lord's help to grow in that rather than to decrease. Because the Lord Jesus who is making us like himself as much as we can be, he is himself 100% pure with no impurities. There are, however, threats to this increased shining of light, the light of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Uh, We know about those dangers, the world, the flesh and the devil. And one of those ways in which that threat comes is from those who try to deceive us. Those who are trying to confuse us as to the difference between light and darkness and to turn everything into shades uh, somewhere between light and dark. Or even to the point where we think that what is dark is actually light, what is uh, black is actually white and what is white is actually black. And there are plenty of voices around today trying to do that and to press that upon Christians. And as some of you may have heard the other day, for example, that the the Pope has now declared that same-sex civil union is okay. Voices trying to press us to turn what is dark into light and light into dark. And uh, so in our second point, as we look at that, we come with this uh, warning and exhortation, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by such people. The Apostle has in mind especially then the danger of false teachers. He's not simply talking about those who are in the world who have no connection to the church and and would claim to be atheists or agnostic. He's not talking about them. He's talking especially about sons of disobedience, those who have heard the truth but who have rejected it and are now trying to sway others to join their cause. And he warns that the words that those people are speaking, they are empty words. The word means hollow as well. They're hollow words. They may sound very clever, 
and uh, you can pick up, if you uh, go in often even into Christian bookshops or websites, and you can, there are hundreds, thousands of these books on the market, books that take the truth of God's word and, and just shift it. Shift it off to one side, a little bit or a lot, and make it sound so wonderfully clever. And make it sound so plausible and so sensible or novel and fascinating, but which is ultimately lacking in biblical substance and therefore it is hollow and empty. And this is not a new thing. The early church had problems with those, for example, who suggested that the Lord didn't care what believers did with their body. The body was nothing. You could do anything you want with your body as long as your soul was pure. And then there were others also who said, well, we believe in the grace of God. And what better way to show the grace of God than for you to get busy sinning so that everybody can see what a merciful God we have and what a gracious God that he forgives even those who give themselves over to sin in this way. So sin all the more. And obviously those kind of errors potentially had a huge impact on shifting members of the church to a walk that wasn't a walk in light. It was a walk in darkness. The Apostle John therefore uses the same language as Paul for the same reason. Test the spirits, he says, to see whether they are from God. 1 John 4 verse 1. And he uses exactly the same language with the word test, the same word group as learn as we find it in our passage. Test the spirits. Bring out your analytical equipment. Bring the material into the lab and get it tested and find out what is pure, how much purity there is in it, and what is rubbish. Do so by performing the test of faithfulness to Scripture. And in a way, the Apostle Paul has already warned of this in, uh, and um, pointed us in this direction in Ephesians 4 verse 14 where he warned against those who are easily swayed by every wind of doctrine blown and tossed about by those winds by the trickery of men. So he says, don't let anyone deceive you. Well, this is actually another application of the fact that uh, we are light in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are children of light who are called to walk in the light. One of the other applications of this is that light is that which exposes darkness and dispels darkness. It is that which exposes ignorance, error and sin and dispels it. When people come under the scrutiny of the light of God's word, it is harder for them to hide the darkness that is in them or the fact that they are dwelling in it. And at the same time, it also makes it harder for us to be deceived, to be deceived by that darkness. It prevents deception. And the more we walk in the light and learn what that means, learn what is uh, learn and grow by putting things to the test, learning and growing in what is pleasing to the Lord and in discernment of that, the harder it becomes for others and behind that the devil to fool us. Now there is attached to this an, ad an additional reason to motivate us. 
And that is another warning that God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience. Because of their empty words and their empty lives and their efforts to deceive others. And the implication of that is that if we follow their lies and take on board their hollow words, we might find ourselves under the same wrath. We've already come across similar warnings amid the reasons the apostles piling up. Chapter 4, verses 17 to 19, where he pointed out that uh, the Gentiles in general at that time were living a life that was excluded from the life of God with their darkened understanding and hardness of heart. If you live in darkness and you turn to darkness and you walk in darkness, you're excluded from the life of God. And verse 5, similarly, warned about the, uh, the immoral and the impure and the covetous idolaters that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ. This then is another reason to apply ourselves to the study of God's word, its doctrine and its ethics so that we grow in the use of the tools of analysis and of discernment. When I studied as a geochemist, we used to have all sorts of uh, fancy uh, equipment. Well, it was fancy in those days, uh, probably be considered dinosaur equipment these days, but in those days it was considered fancy. We analysed rocks with our electron microprobes and our atomic absorption spectrophotometry and uh, X-ray analysis and a variety of other tests, and it all seemed very sophisticated and fancy at the time. But this is our equipment. The Word of God, this is our analytical equipment and we need to use it. The other big danger that is addressed here is the compromise of cooperation. And this is not now a matter of being deceived. But this is a case where God's people sometimes are inclined to form a, a compromise of alliance even though they know that those with whom they are allying themselves are not teaching and preaching that which is light. Our third and final point, don't be partakers with them. Two words are used here to describe this compromising approach. Verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. And verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Those two words, partake and participate, they're different words in the original, but they're very similar in meaning. The idea that we should not be fellow partakers or partners, that we should not be joint or cooperative sharers in communion and fellowship together. The meaning of the two words is very similar, but one important thing that is slightly different between those two verses that in verse 7 we are told we are not to have partnership with them, that is with the people, and in verse 11 we are told that we are not to have that sharing in their deeds, in their wicked deeds. And both of those things are important. The relationship with the people as well as the activities that we do in common with them. Obviously, this is shunning language. There's no way of getting around that any more than the other similar passages in the Bible. It's extremely common language 
in both Old and New Testament together, and especially with those when dealing with those who claim to be one with us but are actively pursuing error and sin or, and or teaching it. And in that regard, you can easily look up 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 and 14, that do not associate with language, uh, which is very similar. So thorough is the separation between the Christian and the false teacher or the false brother that the apostle again says, it is in this context, he says, it is disgraceful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And the point is then that if it is disgraceful even to speak of these things in common, then how much less ought we to be prepared to be partners with them or in their deeds? Far from partnering with them, we are commanded here to expose them, to expose their dark deeds, verse 11. A word that also means uh, rebuke or reprove. In other words, expose the dark deeds in order to reprove them or to rebuke. Uh, John Stott puts it this way, show them up for what they are. Puts it very bluntly. And um, this word expose, this idea of exposing then, uh, means that this is something that can no longer be concealed. By exposing these things, they can no longer be concealed and they can no longer so easily therefore take other people unawares because what they are and what they are doing and what they are saying becomes visible, to use the language of verse 13 in the first half. And I know this is not a popular approach today, where a loving manner today, and being a loving Christian, as we should, uh, this is often taken by, was taken by some to mean that uh, when somebody comes out with some error, you've got to do your best simply to see the positive aspects in what they're saying, to uh, understand and empathise with where they're coming from and so on. But rebuking, exposing and rebuking, that's way too harsh in the view of many. But the scripture here is clear and it, it's something commanded. And that, of course, does not justify an ungodly manner. But nevertheless, it is something that we need to take to heart it is a, a duty that we have as God's people to expose sin and error. And remember in that connection the warning in the book of Revelation. Uh, mentioned it quite a few times over the years, but the uh, Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, highlight two main problems in the churches that are selected, which are a kind of a snapshot of the church as a whole. That's why there are seven of them. Uh, indicating that whole, that symbolic wholeness. And of those seven churches, uh, some of them fall into one problem, that they, they've lost their first love. They may be very strict on doctrine, but they've lost their first love. And that's a danger we have to be aware of and watch out for. But so too with the other one, the other main problem, and that is tolerating error. Not that they necessarily taught it or believed it, but they tolerated it the Nicolaitans and so on. 
and that, that's a serious problem. And it was a serious problem for those churches. And it's now very much the spirit of the age in which we live, the spirit of toleration. And it's so easy. We're, we're probably in a more tolerant age as far as that's concerned than the seven churches were in, in the time of the Apostle John. And the pressure is all the greater now to be tolerant towards darkness rather than to expose it and to rebuke it. At the same time, it is important to recognise that exposing and rebuking sin and error is not something we do for the fun of it and it is not something we do solely as a negative exercise. The Apostle says that this exposure to the light not only causes sin and error to become visible, but in verse 13 in the second half, uh, uh, words that are... uh, sometimes considered to be a little bit hard to uh, know exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying there, but there's some difference of opinion on that. But it appears that in verse 13b, he is talking about the fact that when that darkness is exposed, it can actually be turned into light itself. In other words, exposure to the light can lead to repentance on the part of those who, who have been enticing others into sin and error, or who have been following others who lead them into it. And that should be our desire when exposing and refuting these things, that desire for the repentance of sinners. This too then is a reason to walk in the light and to learn to do so more and more. The more you are steeped in God's word, the more, Lord willing, you will be used And you will be of use to not only exposing darkness with the light, but also calling sinners to repentance. Even as you seek to heed that call yourself, recognising that there is sin and therefore an element of darkness in each one of us. And there are failures sometimes to understand the true doctrine of God's word at various times in our lives as well. Recognising that for ourselves and doing that same work with the same equipment in our own lives. And as we do that, then more and more the light of the Lord Jesus Christ will be seen as he awakens sinners from their sleep and raises the spiritually dead from their death and also as he continues to shine his light on those who are his. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to love the light of the Lord Jesus more and more. Father, enable us to lay hold of the fact that we are light in him and therefore we ought to be walking in the light in the knowledge and the truth and the righteousness that he supplies. Would you give us a desire, therefore, to learn more and more of truth and righteousness from your word? And Father, would you also aid us by your Holy Spirit to walk accordingly, to expose ignorance, error and unrighteousness in ourselves and also as we see it around us. And as we do so, Father, that we may seek also the repentance of others and ourselves too and their reformation, and of ourselves too. We pray this for the sake of the light 
uh, going out into this world for the, the sake of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 43, as we read, deals with the word as light. Psalter Hymnal 79, we'll stand to sing. And would you please remain standing afterwards for the blessing and doxology. Number 79. we sing from the Psalter Hymnal number 301, stanzas 1 and 4. The Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Amen. <laughs> 